0: Our text is Luke 24, the verses 31 and 32. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us, while he talked with us on the road, and opened the scriptures to us. After the sermon, let's sing hymn 26... Stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Luke tells us an amazing story that's not found in the other three Gospels. And that is, when Jesus was raised up from the dead, he appeared to two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. Two disciples. Now, they did not belong to the inner group of 12, but they belong to that slightly wider group of disciples. In fact, Luke mentions in Acts 1 that there were 120 of them, men and women who were very close followers and students of the Lord Jesus. So it's one of that broader group, two of the the disciples from the broader group, he appeared to. The name of one was Cleopas or Cleopas. Most commentators are agreed that this is the same man as Clopas, the husband of Mary. Now, the early Christian church apparently knew the relatives of Jesus Christ very well. And in the early tradition, it was very clear that this Mary and Cleopas were the aunt and uncle of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ appeared to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, the one man was his uncle. Certainly, both men were his disciples. So here's Cleopas walking on the road for hours, talking with the Lord Jesus, opening scripture. He never recognized his nephew. He never recognized his Lord and his Savior. You wonder how... That's possible. Some say, well, he had, Jesus had a glorified body. He was raised with a glorified body. And yet, he was still just a man. He was God, but he was also a normal man. Nobody said he shone with glory or he looked like some radiant angel. He was just a man. It was not surprising in his appearance at all. We understand that the resurrection of the body is indeed a glorified body, but it's, it's you. When you are raised up from the dead, you get back your own body. It's, it's you, identifiable, recognizable. You are glorious in that you are now eternal, immortal, can't be hurt, and you can't sin. So we are still puzzled by the fact that Uncle Cleo could not recognize his nephew his Lord, and his Savior. And you can appreciate that's going to be the focus of our attention this afternoon. Why could he not recognize him? And we're not just talking about a a physical recognition, but why did he not recognize him by faith in his heart and in his soul? We summarize our, our text in this way. Jesus Christ reveals to the two men, or two disciples from Emmaus, That his resurrection is in accordance with the scriptures. And we will see concealed, revealed, and appealed. What's concealed is Jesus' identity. Then it's revealed. And then thirdly, Jesus appeals. He appeals to them to know him as Lord and Savior. So first of all, we're going to look at the concealment of the disciples themselves to truly identify Jesus Christ. You know, uh, as a Christian church, we wrestle with a, a lot of things that poke, try to poke holes in the significance of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. One of the things that liberal theology tries to, to teach us today is that Jesus Christ was not physically raised from the dead. They say that's a miracle, that's supernatural, and miracles don't happen. There is no Santa Claus, and there is no risen Savior either. Brothers and sisters, I'm not going to waste your time by trying to disprove that theory of liberal theology. If you accept the Bible as the infallible Word of God, you know we have reliable eyewitness accounts that Jesus, who was, was dead on Friday, was alive and well on Sunday. If you don't believe that, what are you doing here? You're wasting your time. Nobody's getting up and leaving, so we'll move on and assume that everybody here believes that Jesus Christ was physically raised from the dead, right? But there's another point that's far more insidious and has worked its way in the fabric of theology of the last century. There is this idea and teaching that the 12 disciples were a splinter group from that broader uh, group of disciples and that the 12 first of all you know broke down to 11 then Matthias was added to them the 12 taught that Jesus Christ died to pay for sins and liberal theology says that's nonsense Jesus did not die to make atonement for our sins Jesus is just a man who reveals to us how to love your neighbor. And the fact that he hung on the cross is just the ultimate way of showing people how to to, to give up your life if you have to for the sake of others. Liberal theology says Jesus is your friend, he loves you, he teaches you how to love your neighbor. But then they say the 12, after Jesus died, they, they took all the material of Jesus and they rewrote it and they harmonized it to start teaching that Jesus actually died to pay for sins. And that teaching has become very prevalent in our world, also the ecclesiastical world. And if you don't know your Bible very well, you might just believe in that. But for us who knows the scripture, we say that is absolute drivel. The disciples did not rewrite the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ or of scripture, Brothers and sisters, the disciples are are the men who wrote the New Testament. And if you read the, the Gospels and the Epistles, you read Acts, one thing the disciples reveal is that before the death of Jesus Christ and after his resurrection, they were completely different men. They were in need of a major overhaul, a conversion, because you see, The disciples, the 12 disciples, as they made clear in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that they did not believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Understand what I'm saying? The 12 disciples did not believe, and they made it very clear, they did not believe that Jesus Christ had come to die for their sins. Let's be clear, they did believe that he was son of god son of david their king their lord they believed that he was savior in a certain sense after all in in Matthew 16 Jesus said to them who do you say i am and peter answered for the 12 you are the christ the son of the living god it was a wonderful confession And it opened the door for Jesus Christ to become even clearer as to who he was and what he came to do. And he says, good, now I'm going to tell you, I'm going to Jerusalem. I will suffer many things at the hands of the priests and the Pharisees. I will die. And on the third day, I'll be raised. Peter took Jesus aside and said, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And then Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So the status of the disciples during the ministry of Jesus Christ is that they believed in him as son of God and son of David. They believed that he was their Lord and their Savior, but they did not believe that he was going to die and pay for their sins. It's incomprehensible. I mean, they had the whole Old Testament, and every Israelite grew up with sacrifices and the Day of Atonement. They all knew Isaiah 53 that our iniquities would be laid on the Lamb of God and he would die for sins, not his own. So, how could they not understand? But they didn't. When Jesus Christ died, they were broken. They did not understand. You see, brothers and sisters, on on Easter weekend, and today on, on Easter Sunday, the major point right now is not to try to prove that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, or whether the disciples would finally learn that he was raised from the dead. The real issue is, did they even understand why he had to die? That is the tension on Easter weekend as shown by the disciples themselves. They did not comprehend that he had to die. And so even if Jesus was raised from the dead, that didn't solve everything for them. I mean, people were raised from the dead in the Old Testament. Jesus raised people from the dead. So let Jesus himself rise up from the dead. It still doesn't solve things. Because in their opinion, a savior should not die How can you be victorious if you die? They didn't understand this. They were absolutely confused. For them, there was no way out. There was no exit. There was no explanation for the death of Jesus. That tension is carried on into the passage which we have before us this afternoon. Two disciples are returning to their hometown of Emmaus when the risen Lord caught up to them. And as we said, they didn't recognize him. And Jesus kind of played dumb. He says, what's going on? What are you talking about? They were surprised. He didn't know. So they started to tell him about Jesus, a mighty prophet, definitely from, from God. And then they said, but he was murdered. was murdered." By our, by our own spiritual leaders and by the, the rulers of the land. Then they said in verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, and what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. Do you hear that? They, they said, we had hoped. That's not just the past tense. It's what you call the pluperfect tense. We had hoped. That, that was our hope and our dream once upon a time, that Jesus was our Redeemer. We don't hope that anymore. That, that's, that's not possible anymore. He's been three days in the grave. It's over. And, and you know what? Some women told us that he's no longer in the tomb, but that, that doesn't work for us either. That, that doesn't mean anything to us. That's when Jesus said, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You can imagine that an amazing sermon followed. Jesus walked through the Old Testament, probably starting with Genesis 3, verse 15, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, but at a tremendous cost to himself, the bruising of his heel. Jesus would have talked about 2 Samuel 7, that from the line of David, a king would come to establish an everlasting kingdom. Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 7 and 9, about the Emmanuel, and Isaiah 53, the Lamb of God led to the slaughter to die for the sins of his people. And then finally, we read that after that sermon and at at their home, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Now, we're going to talk about that recognition in a few minutes. But the point is, the truth was concealed from them. This is divine activity. God himself closed their minds, concealed the truth. We read in verse 16 that Jesus himself came up and walked among them, but they were kept from recognizing him. They were not allowed to know who Jesus was and what he really was up to. That that was concealed. Where did that come from? Why does God do a thing like that? It's something that you understand when you look at the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ in its entirety. In the beginning of John, the Gospel according to John, when John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth, was revealed the Father, he also says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So our world is a world of darkness, under the power of sin, of confusion of turning the minds of people away from knowing their God. But Jesus is the light that shines in darkness. He crashed into this world. He made the light shine. And he pushed back on that darkness. That darkness recoiled, but it didn't want to give an inch. And there started the great struggle of the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Who would win, Jesus or Satan? Well, Jesus was up to the task. He started his public ministry. He preached. He performed miracles. And we read that at the beginning of his ministry, he took the land of Palestine by storm. People were absolutely amazed at his teaching, overwhelmed by his miracles. It says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that the people saw that he, had, he taught as someone who had authority. Truly, the light was shining in darkness, and the darkness could not stop the light. And still it pushed back. And and you see that with the crowds. There was this initial enthusiasm for Jesus. And then people held back. They said, you are somebody, but we don't really know who you are. And we're not prepared to commit. And that's when Jesus Christ started to preach in parables. Parables are almost magical. They're like a short story. Very simple in a certain way, but they have this tremendous power. Because, you see, if you're not ready to commit, if you do not genuinely believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, a parable slams the door shut to understanding. A parable will close your mind. But to those who, by God's grace, they, they, they look at Jesus, they love him and adore him and believe in him, the parable opens the door. It's a narrow door. It's a small window of opportunity. But it opens the door to see amazing things about Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said to his disciples, to you it has been revealed. And they learned much about Jesus. They learned he was son of God, son of David, their Lord, and their Savior. But then they also came to a, to a wall. To blankness. They were not prepared to go all the way to believe that Jesus was the Savior who would die for their sins. And at that moment, the full gospel was concealed from them. Their minds were closed. If you are not prepared to know Jesus fully for what he is, prepared to commit to surrender your whole life to Jesus, to embrace him with with living faith, then the door is closed. And it would remain closed until later on there was a richer opportunity to reveal the truth to the disciples. But what happened here is also for their protection and for, for the protection of the people of Israel. Imagine that if at this moment the disciples started wandering around the land and saying to everybody, Jesus is Son of God, Son of David, our Lord and our King. The people would say, great. What has he done for us? And the disciples would say, well, look at his miracles. He's powerful. Listen to his message. It's an amazing message. And that's it. And people say, but I'm a sinner. I'm conceived and born in sin. I'm inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. You can give me the most beautiful message in the world that does not make me a child of God and an heir of life everlasting. You see, if the disciples were not prepared, if they were not able to recognize that Jesus Christ is the one who would die for their sins and pay for their sins, And they only had half the truth. And half the truth is a lie. And that's why the full truth was concealed from them until after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, when they could get the full truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and bring that to the world so we see in our text that the truth is finally being revealed to the disciples after Jesus Christ's resurrection. We see a few things happening here. First, we read in our text, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. So the first thing we see is that this is a gift of grace. Only by the grace of God can someone's eyes be opened and hearts be opened to recognize Jesus for who he really is and what he has really done. The second thing we notice is that after Jesus left them, we read that they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? So what put their hearts on fire is the opening of scripture. When the Lord Jesus Christ opened the Old Testament and revealed there everything that was said about the coming Christ, their hearts were on fire. They began to see. They began to understand. Jesus came for the express purpose of taking sins of people on himself and dying for that on the cross of Golgotha to pay for their sins so that man is reconciled to God and may live as a son or daughter of God to his praise and to his glory. The third thing that we see is that our Lord Jesus Christ makes clear that you see that not so much in our text, but in the broad spectrum of his teaching, that this, this is all done through the working of the Holy Spirit. You know, in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus said, One day I'll be leaving you, but I will send you the Holy Spirit, and he will guide you in the truth. He will let you know everything that you need to know about me. So, to know Jesus, brothers and sisters, it has to be a gift of God's grace, the working of the Holy Spirit, and the opening of Scripture. It's the only way to know Jesus. It's the only way the 12 got to know Him, and the 120, even a super apostle like, like Paul, says, The only way I came to know Jesus Christ, that I came out of darkness into light, is through the gospel. ...and the working of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, particularly chapter 2, he talks there about... ...we all once were enslaved by the prince of the power of the air, the prince of darkness. He said, all of us also lived among them at one time... ...gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. That's where you are, in darkness, sinful thoughts and desires until the Holy Spirit comes to you and opens the Word of God to reveal to you the truth of Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, on Easter weekend, not just 2,000 years ago, but also today, we we are confronted with a couple of facts. On Friday, Jesus died. On Easter Sunday, he rose from the dead amazing things horrible that he died a relief that on sunday he was raised up from the dead but what are we talking about here just just the happiness that jesus wasn't dead anymore just that we're glad he's he's alive again he's well he can walk with the disciples he can walk with us and be our friend you need the entire scriptures you need the power of the Holy Spirit to take these two important facts, the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to fill in all the pieces and realize that when Jesus Christ died on Friday, that was God's plan, to pay for your sins. And that he was raised up on Easter Sunday in victory and glory, over the pow- having power over Satan, sin and death, to take you to make you a son or a daughter of the living God. And that is the message of Easter weekend, to know that Jesus is the Lord and Savior who paid for our sins and made our lives right with God. Therefore, our Lord Jesus Christ also makes an appeal to us to believe in him. It's very important that when we talk about things like it is by grace alone that we are saved. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's the scriptures that reveal to us the truth. That we don't think that we sit there like a dumb block of wood. Saying, well, God, I'm waiting for you to do something with me. We are in a living covenant relationship with God. We know what we, are, we are what we are by grace alone. But we are also called to read to think, to pray, and to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Even the canons of Dort, which are so emphatic, emphasizing that we are saved by grace alone, and and faith, and forgiveness, and, and conversion is the gift of God's grace, says in chapter 4, article 12, the will, so renewed, is not only acted upon and moved by God, but acted upon by God, the will itself also acts. Therefore, man himself is rightly said to believe and repent through the grace he has received. Remember the entire ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, whoever is open and willing to receive, it will be given. But close your mind, harden your mind, and your mind will be closed by me. He preached in parables so that those who really wanted him taken through the door to understand, those who held back, weren't willing to commit, weren't willing to know Jesus as Christ as Lord and Savior, held back. You, my brother, my sister, hearing the gospel, must step forward and very clearly say to Jesus Christ, you are my Lord. I believe that you died for my sins. You know, brothers and sisters, we're not talking here about whether you have faith or not, or whether you are genuinely in the church or not, but whether you are a child of God who is on fire, filled with joy, and knowing what it is, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior. We know that Jesus Christ is the Savior of his church. He is the Lord of this congregation. But ultimately, He also has to be your personal Savior. That in your own heart, there is a fire because you have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let's make this real, shall we? This is Easter weekend. We've been together a lot. Good Friday for a service. Easter Sunday, hopefully this weekend, you were reading your Bible and praying. And maybe in your homes, there was even singing of psalms, hymns, and other spiritual songs. But is your heart on fire? Has the the Holy Spirit and the Word of God filled you so richly that you have stood there at the cross of Golgotha and said, Oh, my Lord, you died for me, did you stand there at the open tomb in joy and thanksgiving that Jesus Christ was raised up in victory over death, over sin, and over Satan? And has the Lord Jesus Christ also walked with you through the power of His Spirit, through the opening of the Word? Has the Lord Jesus Christ also walked with you, and that your heart is on fire and you say, The sweetest thing that ever happened to me is to know Jesus Christ who died for my sins so that I may be a child of God living to his praise and his glory. We we say these things not to cast doubt in anyone's mind here, but to challenge us, to get us to think and hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ himself in Revelation 3. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The risen Lord is knocking at the door, and that door is the door of your heart. Knocking, asking you to open, that he may come in to eat with you, to have fellowship with you. Do you feel the joy in the fire burning in your heart. Amen.